You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 55 of Here for the Truth podcast. We just wrapped up an incredible conversation with the super creative and dynamic Mike Winner, co-founder of Alpha Vedic, co-founder of the Music and Sky Festival. He's been doing so much in terms of truth media, getting information out there in the in the bio terrain, permaculture game. Um, you'll really enjoy this one. Before we dive into that, hereforthetruth.com is now live. All our episodes are there and they're discoverable for you to search and go through and dive deep into. Um, you'll be prompted to sign up to our newsletter when you head to our website. If you feel inclined, please do to stay up to date with everything that we're up to. And also when each of our episodes actually come out, you can get notified via email. Also, you'll get a nice little 15% discount off of our merch store. Um, if you're interested in getting some mugs, hoodies, t-shirts, whatever it might be. These days in terms of social media, we're most active on Telegram. Our Telegram's called at are you here for the truth or t.me forward slash are you here for the truth? We're sharing our deeper insights there at the moment and also we're up, to, um, we're up to some pretty exciting things, which we'll be announcing probably next week. Um, so stay tuned for that. Guys, enjoy this awesome discussion with Mike Winner. Mike Winner is an independent producer and developer with a diverse background in technology, entertainment, live events, and innovative new media. For over 20 years, he has explored alternative systems for the betterment of mankind. As a co-founder of Alpha Vedic, the Quartal Blockchain Project and Music and Sky, he has made it his mission to bring game-changing technology, entertainment, and health sovereignty to the public. He lives on the beautiful Smith River in Northern California with his wife and two sons, where he enjoys his favorite life pursuits of fishing, farming, trail running, and volunteering as a local firefighter. Amazing. Mike, welcome to Here for the Truth. Hey, gentlemen. So happy to be here and honored to be with you guys today. Dude, love it. Love having you here. And um, I learned something new about you in that bio. I had no idea that you were a local firefighter. Yeah, we can get into that. That I wouldn't have thought that four years ago either, brother. Yeah, uh, man, for sure. Coming from Hollywood and as a LA DJ and like producer to now knowing CPR and like literally yesterday was on a call with a car that went 50 foot in a ditch on the other side of the river. And yeah, dealing with... Um, uh, really intense moments at times as a first responder is something that um, I'm really proud of. Yeah, man, I bet. I bet. So listen, let's, um, you know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting you through some mutual friends. We were on Telegram thread together, and then we connected before um, uh, Music music and Sky last year. But, you know, like we like to do with a lot of our guests, man, we really want to uh, explore your personal hero's journey and your major rites of passage that, you know, led you to, First being a DJ in LA or doing production work. And now you're, now you're up surrounded by nature with this amazing alpha beta project. So like, obviously we all, we always have a life story, but um, I, I want to hear just the ma the major elements of it, man. Like that really uh, impacted you and, and guided you to, to being who you are and, and thinking about the things that you think about and living the way you live. Oh man. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's been quite, a journey to say the least. I never would have thought looking back 
10 years ago, you know, as a Hollywood independent producer and working in the music industry, that I would be growing my own food, uh, drinking my own urine, and, uh, <laughs> and as a volunteer firefighter uh, in the middle of hundreds of, I don't even know how many millions of acres of forest where I'm up here uh, on the Smith River. It's been quite a journey. And I feel like fortunately I've been a little ahead of the game this whole time because we moved up here uh, 2016. I had a sense of uh, the need to do that. Backtracking though, yeah. how did it all start, man? My, I am so blessed to have two parents who are still together, love each other. Well, you know, nothing's ever perfect. Um, I was I was raised in a in a tradition very traditional setting in Orange County, uh, Southern California. Uh, grew up in the '90s in the ska punk skater scene there. Like had friends in some pretty sizable bands at that time, and was like super Orange County pride. Uh, my first real job ever was working at Disneyland. No way. Uh, and um, yeah, I was uh, from the from the time I was a kid though. I always had a camera in my hand. I was always uh, either tinkering with um, musical stuff. Like I always was playing on keyboards or making mixtapes, even as a really little kid, which got me probably into DJing very young. Uh, and then also I was always, um, really, I don't know, uh, obsessed with, uh, film and, and, and videotaping things, even at like a very young age, like in fifth, sixth grade, I got, I remember I won a, a VHS recorder through a, uh, some kind of contest through my mom's work. And it was like the OG big old VHS tape recorder. And I would just yeah, record dude. everything, man. I was always recording stuff. Yep. It's like <laughs> the big old one that was super clunky. And um, I remember doing projects in school. Like when we'd have a, a written assignment, I would ask if instead we could do it as a video. And we would make these really fun little sci-fi movies and war mo like uh, reenactment movies. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And then, um, in high school, I went to an all boys Catholic high school in, in Anaheim called Servite, which uh, is known for its sports and uh, its curriculum. And I was actually super blessed to go there because I am still friends with the core group of guys that uh, I came up with. And we were kind of the renegades. Like I did play sports, but I wasn't a super meathead or I was more of a nerd, to be honest. I was still in advanced Dungeons and Dragons and like <laughs> and doing role playing stuff. But also um, I got into punk rock kind of early on um, coming up in that scene and and skateboarding was a big outlet and so we were kind of the punks of the school but we were sober we were we weren't straight edge but we didn't do drugs really or, or drink or anything and um, we were just really into being silly and constantly messing around and constantly what we called wreaking havoc and so I was always the one filming us doing that incriminating stuff for some reason <laughs> Yeah. I love it, dude. Was it like, was it like pre jackass? That was pre jackass, right? Yes, it was. Pre so we were actually highly influenced by um, a, a snowboard series because we were big into snowboarding too, uh, called the whiskey videos. If you've ever yeah. seen those. No, no. And in those, it was pre jackass, which, you know, jackass came from um, uh, what's the skateboard crew, not toy machine. I'm blanking right now. Uh, those guys all came up into jackass, but were, were like a skate crew down by us too but the whiskey guys were from canada and they had this they would dress up and do these skits in public like they had boozy the clown who would just <laughs> he was a snowboarder who would dress up as a clown and just go do really insane things in public i don't know we were inspired by that we we weren't inspired by going out and getting hammered and and doing that we were inspired by uh, by being funny 
And so uh, sometimes that was probably not fun for others because like we would go to fast food because, you know, living in Orange County, you're surrounded by concrete. You're, you're in basically one large suburban jungle of McDonald's and, and strip malls, right? Mm-hmm. And so we had to create our own culture and our culture of like punk rock skating kind of messing around culture included us videotaping ourselves, like going up to fast food chain, uh, drive-ins and just ordering water and then pulling up to the window. We would literally spray them with water, like really bad things looking back. But it was, I think, our own way of kind of rebelling against the utter boredom of the materialism and the commercialization in a place like Orange County, where it was like really safe, but also extremely soul sucking. Yeah. But so anyways, so I got really into that. And then that kind of led to going to university. Well, back up too. I was also like an altar server up until I was, oh. um, God, like 12 or 13, kind of late, like kind of late in the game. Um, and I even considered going into the priesthood at one point. Dude, that's so wild, man. I mean, same. I, I was a, I grew up Greek Orthodox, you know, like okay. my parents were born and raised in Greece and I was an altar, altar boy, I guess, altar server, altar boy, like until I was a senior in high school, every, I would go to church every Sunday. Like I had like 11 years, perfect attendance, Sunday school. My mom would yep. wake me up every Sunday morning. And it was like, like, you see me? Okay. We have to get up and, and, and go, you know? So I was all, <laughs> I was all about it, man. It's wild. Alter boy. Correct. I don't want to, I guess that's the PC term now, alter server. Cause they, oh yeah. Alter the server. Yeah. Yeah. The Catholic alter, church alter person brought girls in. Yeah. So now they have pronouns too. That uh-huh. I bet they ask you when you, your first day, what's your pronoun? Um, but yeah, no, you know, it was the, the best deal too, is on the weekends working, um, or, uh, serving for the weddings or funerals. Did you ever do that? Cause you get paid doing that no dude i didn't i didn't get any extra money for that dude no <laughs> that must be a, I, the, I came the only, up the only thing Catholic. i remember the only thing i remember is that in the greek church we had something called holy week so it was the week leading up to greek easter which is different and it was like every day was a service so me and my friends that were altar boys together like it which ended up just being like a social thing and we'd talk mad shit like the service would be going on we're talking to each other like everyone would be telling us to be quiet like the priests are telling us to be quiet and you know, anyways, memories. Did you, ever, did you ever sneak the wine in the back or anything? Oh yeah, man, for sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, drank, yeah. we drank some of the communion wine, dude. It was called like Mavro Daphne. It was like this sweet wine. We drink that shit. Oh yeah, same here. I actually even remember now. Geez, uh, flashbacks here. Um, I led retreats in the mountains and stuff for youth group. So I was okay. in. A, I was part of Salt, which was a student action leadership team at my church and that was like to get college credits and stuff is how i justified it but i was just like a super nerd too like and also it was a great way to meet uh meet girls that um were kind of more mellow and uh not well and i went to an all-boys catholic school so at that point i was desperate right for anything that was an opposite sex so um but yeah like i fully led retreats um and in as my junior and senior year in high school with like freshmen that were going through uh i guess that was confirmation or whatnot um and i remember i was super straight right and um we were up at uh, one of the retreats and these kids were like kind of the bad kids but they were like ska kids and so i was talking to them about music and stuff they started handing uh, handing around a joint or maybe it was it was some pipe or something and i ended up ripping it just to be cool and this was maybe the second time ever in my whole life i'd smoked i think i was a senior in high school and I got so blazed out of my mind. And then I had to go lead the entire retreat 
like this big, this big kind of, it culminated in this, it was Sunday afternoon and all the, you know, there was adults there, of course, and there was like 200 kids there and everything was in slow-mo and everything was like, you know, and it was talking about God and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to hell. And then (laughs) at that time I got pulled out, pulled to the side. And it was a, a, a freshman who was contemplating suicide and pulled me over to have a heart to heart with me about this. And here I am high out of my, off my ass. And that's when I decided I'm never doing this again, man. God's telling me something here. God's telling me, you know, um, I, I made a bad decision. And then, um, fast forward a year later, I'm at UC Santa Barbara and I'm, and boy, did things change fast. (laughs) Yeah. You're like smoking weed every day. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um, good. But yeah, no, I went to UC Santa Barbara. And so once again, so blessed, like I was like, not to toot my own horn, but I was think I was 12th in my class. I was an AP student had like a 4.5 got into University of Penn, Notre Dame, a bunch of big universities, but I didn't want to go to a call a Catholic university. I didn't want to have that experience anymore. I went out and checked. I was like a big Notre Dame fan my whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I came up Irish Catholic. So the Irish football scene and all that, I, you know, my whole family was into. So I went out and visited the campus and I was just like, I'm a California boy. I couldn't do, I can't do this. You know, um, it's cold, man. It's cold and there's just not a lot to do out there. And, uh, it's very flat and, uh, the girls weren't quite up to my standard. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Yo, had, had Rudy come out yet? That was one of my favorite, favorite movies. Rudy with uh, not Sean only Anthony. had Rudy come out, but I met the real Rudy. He, uh, the real Rudy came to our high school to talk, uh, at Servite. So he yeah. came when I was like a junior and he actually did, he was going around doing inspirational, uh, talks at this time. Before he yeah. got like put in prison or something for fraud. I think he had some kind of fraud that happened afterwards. I don't know if you, oh, I, I could be I, wrong, but I thought I Googled his name and there was some shit that went down, but oh, I could wow. be wrong. I, I hadn't heard that, but I, that's a bummer because you know, he went like the way of, um, Hey, hey man, I could, guy. I could be wrong. So, you know, check yeah. that out for yourself. But I thought I'd read that somewhere. It was some, some I kind of remember that. I kind of remember that too. And yeah, it's funny. I just watched that movie with my kids. I have two sons, eight and 10, and we watched that over the summer Great uh, and love that movie. That movie's so good. That story's yeah. so good. I love That's uh, one of my favorite scenes. Five foot, nothing, a hundred and nothing. And you hung out with the greatest football team in the land. And you don't got to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. <laughs> I love it. You have seen that movie a few times. I've got no idea what this movie is. <laughs> what you oh, well, you don't. You guys don't have American football in Australia, so nah. it's uh, it's about an underdog story based on a true story uh, about a kid who like grew up where no one went to college, and he was like kind of like a scrub football player, but he had the, like, the biggest heart of anyone, and just worked hard, and he and he had a dream to go play Notre Dame, and he made the team. But you have to watch. It's actually a really good movie, man. Nice. Like it's, I will. It, it's, it's a classic. Heartfelt classic narrative about an underdog who goes against beats all the odds through pure grit and and inspire you know you just it's this inspiring movie i think yeah. you don't have to enjoy football to to enjoy yeah. this movie at all yeah I, I cried at the end multiple times oh i cry every time yeah every time every time i introduced it to my wife like i think a few years ago she loved it too anyways there's only a few movies I cry every time. The other one is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I watch that every holiday. I cry every time. I cry multiple times in that movie. It's a, it's a good movie. I love it. Uh, uh, so anyways, I and I hated football, by the way, because all the meatheads at our school would try to fight us. And our big rival was Modern Day, which was the big, it's like the big, it's, mm. it's like the most famous football school in the nation. They're like number one yeah. in the nation every year. 
Yeah. And in fact, we, we actually uh, were up against them this year for the CIF finals and we had a chance because we never beat them and they beat us again. But um, this is how much we hated football. Like their color is red. And on se- on like our senior year, when we had the pep rally, my entire crew, we all wore red, all red. And we sat right behind the football team in the pep rally. And Dude. we, let's just say that caused a big stir at the school. But that was just us saying, this is nonsense. Like this is supposed to be about academics and art and all these other things. And the whole school is all focused on football. So we're going to wear the other team's color as like an act of kind of, you know, rebellion against the nonsense of what, what are the priorities here? Right. So that's what I, how I came up. And I, I think that's what, why I'm still the way I am today mm-hmm. is that like punk rock kind of underground sensibility of like anti-establishmentarian seeing just how um, nonsensical the world is and how hypocritical institutions are. Um, coming from when I was very young, like going to Catholic school. And um, yeah, so it's interesting. And then I, I ended up going to UC Santa Barbara because the skating was epic there. Mm-hmm. That's why I chose it. They had the best skateboarding on the campus there. I did not go to it. Literally, I could have gone to an Ivy League school. My parents would have paid. I, I was fortunate enough to come up in a place. My parent, I came up as like middle class, but my yeah. parents... I mean, shout out to them. They um, saved for our education that they just came from that world. Like they saved money. And so they had put all their, put all their shekels away. So I could go to the school of my dreams and I chose UC Santa Barbara and they supported it. They're like, Hey, okay, this is, this is where you want to go. I mean, and UC Santa Barbara is a quality institution. I'm not knocking it. it. Um, When I was going, I think it was like the third best UC behind Berkeley and LA. And I think it's still probably that. Um, But uh, I went as a pre-law. I was gonna be. I was gonna be an attorney, and I, I'd given up on the the priest thing when I discovered women and discovered my love for them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I uh, I was like gonna still be a good boy and do what my parents, you know, what what they envision, like what you're supposed to do in life, right? Be a doctor or an attorney or something. So I went as a pre-law as a pre-law history double major. And by my sophomore year, uh, my whole entire life had changed because of psychedelics and um, really my like waking up out of the what behind what we call the orange curtain growing up in Orange County. We say we're behind the orange curtain because it's very like closed off. And and I came with a lot of Orange County pride, you know, at that time in the late 90s. Orange County was like really hot, like the movie Orange County had come out. There was the OC was the, the TV show. Um, bands like No Doubt, Sublime, Real Big Fish. My homies were in those bands. Um, Aquabats. Like uh, there was just so I, I was like, just oh, Orange County or die. And then I got out of that, and UC Santa Barbara was meeting all these different people from all over the world, and realized, whoa, the world's a lot more complex and interesting than that kind of very shallow materialism that was actually very much in the '90s too. Like the yeah. '90s, I love it has grit. It was a very special time, but. When you look back in the Clinton era of the U.S. 90s, it was like, man, it was just a lot of, I mean, good times because we hadn't really faced reality at that time, I feel like. Like my my childhood, man, my my priorities were based around like you know, in, up into my young adulthood, like where's that party going to be tonight? Let's go find the flyer for it because there's no internet really. And like what are, and really your priorities are about your like immediate relationships and your immediate connections, which now looking at that's like really important because we've gotten away from that. But back then we weren't as tapped in because the internet wasn't as ubiquitous and pervasive. 
So it was a uh, kind of a very innocent time, uh, too. Oh, so, for sure. yeah. Yeah, um, man. yeah, but anyway, so yeah, UC Santa Barbara was a trip, man. Total, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's like one of the number one yeah. party schools in the US. I, I am. I, my, um, back then it was rated like number by Playboy magazine, like number two place to go for Halloween in the, in the country for partying. So um, that's how I got into uh, DJing was uh, through actually uh, a, uh, a roommate there. And actually he lived across the hall from me in the dorms. And the first time I heard like funky house music coming as like a punk ska kid, I was like, what is that? And then I was immediately attracted to that entire culture, which was the underground rave culture of the 90s, which to me was like an extension of the punk rock, but to like a whole other level of kind of you know breaking into warehouses and throwing underground raves and stuff and tying into like graffiti culture and uh urban culture and all that so then i was in i was kind of very much into that culture for a while and became uh, a dj and started playing parties and throwing raves with the crew up in oakland santa barbara we threw um full moon parties up in the mountains and that was really my life for like four or five years in fact i i barely went to school i was smart enough to uh, it was a joke after going to um, Servite, uh, you know, with that kind of education I got. Public school was a joke, man. I could I could do it almost without even without even studying. And so at that point, I started focusing more on partying and making up for a lost time, but also um, throwing events and uh, DJing and also exploring my consciousness. Cool, man. I love it. We have some similarities around, I mean, not playing music, but just like going to school and our, our kind of experiences up in college and kind of just focusing on partying and enjoying ourselves. And then just being like, Oh, I'll show up for an exam and I'll do, I'll do fine. Oh yeah. man, dude. Like I, I had, I took animation class. Um, cause Oh, so, Oh, so I went to, to be a, uh, uh, you know, an attorney, right? Yeah. My sophomore year, my, I had a few roommates. I was living in a house on Del Playa for those at UCSB and know about Isla Vista. I was living in the heart of the party town with five DJs. Um, we would throw like 30 kegers and just DJ every weekend. And, uh, and then two of those guys were film majors and they were working on film projects. And I, you know, I was, I was telling you my life was all growing up. I was always had a camera in my hand. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I like trying to be an attorney or something when my passions are media and film? So I called my parents up middle of sophomore year and said, I I'm, I'm dropping my majors. I'm going to keep the history major, but I'm going to do a double major with film. And they were totally supportive. They're like, yeah, we see that, you know, that's you. So, uh, and at that time, UCSB was the number one film theory uh, uh, had the number one undergraduate film theory program in the nation. So it was respectable and it was actually much, it was very, very difficult. And, um, but it was very rewarding. And uh, that's what kind of got me into more philosophy and understanding how reality is in terms of portraying it through media by doing these like hardcore theory classes. And then I, I started taking more philosophy classes and also more psychedelics. And then I really started waking up to like the esoteric and I really started going down into conspiracy rabbit holes in college. And my father was a big influence on me because he was always a radical constitutionalist coming, growing, uh, coming from Montana cool. and um, was very much always kind of talking about the constitution and a gold standard and all these things. And my mom was the opposite. Um, which is funny because they're still together to this day and she's like a diehard liberal. But um, 
yeah, my dad was very instrumental. He's the one that first introduced me to this guy named Alex Jones, who is on local radio. This was pre like, yeah. So I was listening to Alex Jones on AM radio and um, right when he was coming up in like the late nineties. And then I was, I was totally like awake to everything by my senior year and just getting in arguments. And I mean, going to a very liberal school, I was in continual arguments and debates with all of my friends. Um, and some of them had come over, but most of them were sold on the liberal kind of status agenda. So that's where I was really already um, kind of, um, you know, getting those skills where I use now where I could go into debate people about using logic and common sense and uh, critical analysis on on facts and stuff. So yeah, all the way back then, the creature from Jekyll Island. Um, that book was really um, a big influence on me, and I read that in like ninety eight, ninety nine, and then I think so. And then um, one of my jobs, I've told the story a few times. I was working at Nordstrom selling women's shoes right out of college, and I would go on my lunch break to Borders bookstore. Uh, do you remember those things? Yeah, bookstores? I remember borders, man. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Those, you know, it was like a three stories behemoth in Brea, California. And um, I would go there every lunch break and go to the metaphysics section because I was like reading Carlos Castaneda and I was reading um, like anything I get my hands on about the uh, occult and the esoteric uh, masonry and all that. And um, this book literally popped out of the shelf and fell on my foot. And it's really weird uh, cover on it. And it was called The Biggest Secret by David Icke. And um, it had just come out. And I started, I'm like, what is this? And then I started reading it. And I could not put it down to the point where I would bookmark it. And I would hide it in like the romance novel section because I was too broke to buy it. <laughs> and I would come back every day and read it. And literally like dog-eared it. Like at, it, it, <laughs> terrible. I think I ended up finally buying it. Um, and uh, You're going that to hell. You're going to hell. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Uh, that book changed my life. And actually, I got to tell David that story this uh, couple, like last month or when I interviewed him for the mm -hmm. event. So that was really cool. And uh, yeah, David was a huge influence on me. I totally, it made so much sense to me, even the reptilian stuff, all of that. Um, as a history major, I, I already knew the influence of kind of the serpentine um, symbolism and all that. And it just made so much sense. So I started really researching deep into um, all of that kind of content and information. And this was like 2000, 2001, when the internet still had a lot of really trippy, cool stuff there you could find. Mm -hmm. And um, I became kind of obsessed. And that's what's kind of led me to today is thanks to David Icke and those books uh, was a huge influence. And actually, I had a vision um, reading that book um, that came true. Um, I, was, I was reading towards the end and I'd really become, I felt like I knew David. And um, I had this vision of him on a stage talking in front of thousands and thousands of people in the near future in the, or maybe even the far future. I couldn't quite tell, but I, I saw him as a major instrumental figure in the future where the world was in chaos and he knew the truth and he was speaking out and he was yelling freedom. And then in 2020 in the summer at Trafalgar Square in London, when he had that famous speech, that was the vision I had. And I literally fell down crying when I saw that. Wow. That's intense. Wow. Yeah. That is wild. Um, so often and so easily these days, any kind of speaker of truth, 
or in the conspiracy world that has a platform or gains major media attention is so easily la- labeled as controlled opposition. You know what I mean? <laughs> be it David Icke, be it Alex Jones, be it, you yeah. mean, Joe, Joe Rogan, whoever it might be. You know what I mean? RFK, whatever, because they have a platform because they have notability. What do you think is the psychology behind that? Why is that? And what's, what's your perspective on that? That's a great question. And I'm, I'm dealing with that a lot these days, doing these summits and having to um, really choose the right people. And I do think there are controlled op- operatives. I do think there is intelligence um, uh, uh, operations being run to um, take out certain movements. I mean, look what happened in the 60s with, mm-hmm. the, um, with the use of psychedelics. I mean, there was a true organic movement happening. And then we know with like Tavistock with their um, uh, manipulation of, of people like, you know, Jim Morrison and things they did up in the, the Hollywood Hills. And also I've been investigating a lot with like the Beatles and uh, Rolling Stones and their interaction with Tavistock and also just the dark packs they make to be famous. I do believe there are elements involved, but I also believe um, we become so paranoid and so... <laughs> so um uh, uh trustless of uh and we have so much information too coming at us now more than we ever have that i believe it's it's a fragmented psyche that we're that is the representation literally it's it's our own inability to know ourselves mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is is mirroring back with this constant claim of controlled opposition now i don't personally believe i know for a, i would like to say i know for a fact david ike is not controlled opposition um, I would also say Joe Rogan isn't. I would say I've had an opportunity to meet Joe. I, I even um, tried to um, cast him in as an uh, when I was in Hollywood. I worked in Hollywood. We'll get to that, I guess. I worked in Hollywood for ten years um, as a host in a spec, uh, a reality show I was doing called American Superhero, where we um, where we were tracking these like real life superheroes, uh, city to city. These people that would dress up as superheroes to fight crime. And it was kind of a comedy, reality comedy. And I, I, through my agent, I approached Joe at this small comedy club and I had an interaction with him and he felt extremely like a real person. Like, and he was just too busy at the time doing what he does. But I think, um, I think though it's, yeah, to go back, it's almost like a Jungian archetype thing where we, we, when we don't deal with our own shadow, we look towards others and, and try to project that on others. Yeah. So we're all human. We're all trying to deal with um, the information we have. And also, I think we're all, um, I think people that are really under the, you know, uh, I don't know, under the spotlight, trying to, to push out um, truth have to be very careful these days with what they talk about when they're at that level, like Joe Rogan level or RFK Jr. level. However, um, I also think that we're at a time where it's so important that they at least are open to other aspects of truth. And I do get really frustrated, like when RFK Jr. is still not accepting with all the friends and people that I know he's talking to, is still not really taking in all the information about germ theory, for example. That doesn't mean he's controlled opposition. I just think he has some shadow work and some ego to break through and maybe um, uh, release a little bit of his brand. I think it's like their brand, literally, that they're like Del Bigtree has his brand. And I think it would be destructive to his business model to take in some of that information. But I don't think that's an excuse anymore, seeing where we're going in the world. So it's a really, really tricky topic, man. And it's something it's- that keeps coming up every day in the circles that I'm in and what yeah. I deal with. Like, And I'll speak to this right now because he's a homie of mine and it's all out in the public. One of my dear friends, Alex Zek, I don't mm. know if you guys know who he is. He's, yeah, um, he's, been, on, he's been on here. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. Alec is a total homie. His way forward podcast talks about the fraudulent germ theory and everything. Um, but he's got this big organization, Health Freedom for Humanity, that has a really big role to play in terms of, of shepherding people towards a more um, sovereign sense of, of health and wellness. And um, they recently came out, um, not, him, not him himself, but uh, Jeff, who's in his organization, yeah. wrote this scathing uh, letter about Robert Malone being um, a total, you know, doing some new vaccine. And, it, and while this intel could be good, it did it in a way that was um, calling him a controlled operative. And it, it's led to like a huge nightmare for their operation and for their organization. And we just have to be careful because the PSYOP in itself could be the idea of calling people controlled op, you know, yeah. like that is the psyop of separating us is us thinking that everyone's controlled op when they're maybe they are, maybe they're not, but maybe it doesn't even matter. But when we start creating this tension and stress, because we're so concerned with who controlled ops are, then the psyops working no matter what, if that makes sense. Yo, it makes complete yeah, sense. It makes it's it's I find it in the last six months to a year that term is being thrown around nonstop. Like you, you could literally have one celebrity who's probably hired to take a photo shoot and photographers are like, okay, who knows? Maybe some photographers have some inside connections and they're like, hey, do this, you know, cover <laughs> your eye. And so they do it because they're, they're, they're in a photo shoot. And then it's like, they're part of the Illuminati and they're controlled up. And hey, they could be, they could be, it's possible. But it's just, I just find it's a term that's being used and to discount anyone that doesn't agree with you 100% about everything. Right. It's People, about ego yeah. and shadow work, man. And, um, and I think, you know, we're, we also, we're in a weird time and Alec and I have talked about this because people look up to us that people have create brands and create businesses around like telling, you know, truth, which is weird to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, here, exactly. So it's, we all need to let go, let go a little bit. And uh, but here's the thing, the man, people are so disempowered. People are so yeah. disempowered. They do not believe that anyone can actually organically rise and organically build themselves up to a place where they can earn money from living their truth and speaking their truth. And just because they don't agree with you completely with everything, you mean, whatever you think that the truth might be, it doesn't make them controlled opposition. You know what I mean? Like Dr. Robert Malone, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, his research and his knowledge in this field of whatever he's been looking at is far more extensive than I guess whoever's accusing him. Dr. Peter McCullough, the same thing. You know what I mean? But just because yeah. they might not have delved into terrain theory as deeply as you have, and all of a sudden they're on a mainstream media platform talking about things which might counteract that, how can you possibly go to the place that all of a sudden now there's, there's some big scheme where his entire career has been cultivated for him to get to this point now where he's going to be speaking about mRNA vaccines and be controlled opposition. Like it's to me, it's just completely uncensored, ungrounded. And more than anything, it's a reflection of the quote unquote truth community from my perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I do think we need to be realistic and understand there are intelligence operations being run. And we need to realize that like for me coming from media, I do know that there are certain heavy hands at play in terms of what is on um, you know, what is allowed to be on mainstream. And I do think that there, we can't just also say it's all organic and natural because there are forces at play. Definitely. So what this, what this requires is discernment, discernment, right? Discernment and the ability to trust intuition and also not to take stuff 
how in the end is this really affecting your life, right? I think people are so apt right now to go into these rabbit holes, maybe because they're turning off the mainstream media, which is great. And they're turning off, like people are opting out of um, Netflix, like I have, and opting out of a lot of the traditional brainwashing, mind controlling apparatus. So now they're getting more obsessed with these kind of rabbit holes. Who's the controlled op? Where's, you know, and it's creating this paranoia. And in the end, it's like, what is that really doing for your life? Right. And, and so I think we need to step back. We need to take a breath. That's why with music and sky, we're focused on literally ice baths, meditation, uh, learning about how to start your own fire. Um, and we do have great top. We, we have people that come talk about Germanic new medicine and germ theory and uh, yeah. the state of the nation and, and things like that. It's important to be well-rounded and informed, but also I, uh, I don't like the cloak and dagger game. Um, we, we recently had some of that on our Telegram channel uh, uh, about recent guests of ours. People were saying they were co-opted. One was an MI6 agent and et cetera. And I was like, I'm not here to play cloak and dagger. I'm not here to, uh, to delve into that because that takes me away from um, out my garden. It takes me away from literally all the stuff I'm doing. So it, for those listening that um, I could see both perspectives, I can see what Joel's saying and I, I can also see what others are saying. But in the end, what's that real? How's that really affecting your life? Um, unless you're like, you know, I guess a journalist or something, which we're severely lacking these days. So maybe that would be good uh, to have people actually take up some true journalism again. Mm. Well, I mean, you're right, man. And, and it is discernment, right? For example, let's play a game here, right? Like Elon Musk all of a sudden backing the truckers. Excuse me, this guy's literally building a surveillance state around the planet. Like, how did, how's everyone forgetting about that? You know but I mean? how do we know he's really backing the truckers? It was like a thing to a website that pointed now to Biden. He's tweeting. He's tweeting hack. truckers for freedom. He's he's tweeting. Oh, is he? Directly. Okay, I'm not on Twitter anymore. So yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. barely in normie life anymore. So I don't even know yeah. a lot of this stuff. But they, I, I see I've heard people media. say that truckers are a psyop. I've heard people say that. <sighs> yeah, please, man. Yeah, I, I'm getting sent things. People are sending me things about that as well. Like it's a psyop and. They're gonna bring in the yeah. digital, the driver. But, but then also, I read an article the other day that like uh, Elon Musk is, uh, you know, they're perfect timing. They're testing driverless truck yeah. trucks or driverless truckers. So it's like it's perfect timing. Which, again, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on in this, this matrix. I just like observing it all, taking it in, and hopefully using discernment and a rational mind to make decisions. But what you said is what it's all about, and this is what we talk about: is what are you doing? What are you creating? What are you creating in your life? Like yeah. what's serving you becoming a more healthy, rational, grounded person and creating the life of your dreams? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing? Like, like I'm kind of done playing COVID. Like I'm done. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. Like, like I'm done with this, dude. I don't want to talk about yeah. it. I don't want to talk about like PCR and all this other, sh like, what are you doing in your life? What are you creating? And that's, what's important. Yeah. That's yeah. what. That's really what we're focusing on with Music and Sky and the event, this uh, online summit we did. We mm -hmm. covered, we only wanted like 10, 15% to be about the problem and like 75% to be about solutions and not even solutions necessarily related to figuring out the truth and stuff. No, it's like solutions literally related to your life right now, like how to grow your own food. Um, understanding law is super important. And it's not just about like, if you're worried about vax or mask or something, no, it's literally how law is how you relate to yourself and to everyone around you. It's the natural law. It's like who you are um, as a spiritual being and realizing how to grow up. 
And the problem is most people haven't grown up. Most people have been um, are essentially um, babies walking around in, in grown up suits. And so um, it's really all about personal sovereignty and personal responsibility. And that's why we're in the mess we're in right now is because most people have given that away at a very early age. And when I was going down these rabbit holes in the early 2000s, I was a mess. Sure, I was like informing myself about all these like all, you know, all the conspiracies and underground bases and the, you know, like the all, all the Alex Jones stuff. And I was connecting all the dots, but I was going out and partying and DJing and like didn't know where I was going to be the next day in my life. And I was filled in my head with knowledge. Right. But in here I was empty. And so that was a huge part of my growing up was I think most of my 20s, I was a I was a little kid. And um, really, it didn't I didn't really grow up until my mid thirties, I would say until I really, until I had my, my first kid. And then I was like, Whoa, time to grow up, time to figure this out. Yeah. And, um, and I really have to thank my wife a lot for that too, because she is super grounded. Like you want to know somebody to follow as an example in life. My wife, when I met her once, she didn't have a TV she, and this was back in like 2004 when I met her, uh, in Santa Barbara, she didn't have a TV, didn't wasn't tapped into anything. She and her she and her roommate would do play board games and read novels, and I thought that was pretty hip. And she wasn't even like a hipster or anything. She was going to nursing school, total total awesome woman. But she doesn't ever. She's never been in tune with like the politics or or what the gossip is or watching the Oscars or you know what's what's up with um, whatever the pop culture is talking about. She's literally always grounded in how can she be of service to whoever is around her. And she naturally flows that way. And, and, and to the point where I feel like she gets taken advantage of at times, like she'll let someone cut in front of her at the ATM line. I'm like, why did you do that? That person is taking advantage of you. She's like, why do you care? Why do you care? I don't mind waiting another three minutes. Let them do their thing. Right. And even with all COVID stuff, she just, she's a nurse. She was an RN. She's, she is an RN. She's out of the hospital now. But, um, and I was like, oh, you have to wear a mask and all this. She's like, well, I don't care. I've had to wear a mask for 10 years because I wouldn't get the, the flu shot. I've been doing it already for 10 years. Um, and it was just this continual like zen, <laughs> like, like being the reed in the wind. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I saw that as not being a strong warrior, right? And like bowing over and letting people walk over you. But to her, she sees that as being, like the most grounded and the most kind of um, representative of true consciousness. And so for me, that was like a really amazing example of someone to look up to that happened to be my life partner. So I was super blessed to meet her at a club while I was DJing in Santa Barbara of all places. <laughs> hmm, beautifully it, man. said, man. Shout out to Mike's wife. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, seriously, like all my friends and all my homies are like, I can't believe you still, she's, you got her. You're the luckiest guy ever. So, um, and that's a crazy story. I mean, talk about a crazy story. I've, I've told this, I mean, people know this story, but I was like a raging single guy. I never brought women home because they weren't the type to bring home to mom and dad. Even my mom had said, maybe I was, she thought I was gay at one point. She said that at like one of our first dinners with Blakely, my wife's uh, family, when we were just dating, I was like, oh, mom, come on. She's like, I don't know. I thought he was, might've even been gay. He just never brought anyone home. He was an altar boy until he was 14. Um, <laughs> So, so basically, um, I met her, uh, at this, uh, at the shitty kitty wildcat Santa Barbara. I was like a resident there 
and we were backstage in the VIP uh, bathroom line and I saw her and it was like immediately, oh my God, who is this? I walked up to her in the line and like, I, I got right behind her and I was like thinking what to say. And I think I said something really stupid and she and her friend immediately said, oh, we're flight attendants just in for the night. Totally blew me off, made up a story. And then um, I, I was like, oh, dang it, dang it. What can I do? What can I do to, you know, try to get to know her this one night? And I was talking to my buddy at the back patio and he's like, um, no, I see her every Thursday at this other bar. And I was like, oh, that little stinker. She's totally dropping me a line. So I went up to her and said, well, you know, I'm the, I'm a, I can get you into this place anytime and gave her my card, like so cheesy. And then I told my friend later that night, I said, that woman over there, oh yeah, back up. So she ended up telling me what she was doing. She was going to nursing school. And my mom was, is a lifetime nurse. And she always told me, she's like, son, you never bring anyone home and you know, any good girls home. You need to find yourself a good nurse to take care of you. You're a mess. DJing and just living, staying out late at night. I don't know what you want to do in your life. And so when she told me that she was going to nursing school to be a nurse, I was like, bing, 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 this is the one. And I told my friend that night, who was later at our wedding, I was like, that's that girl, that girl right there. I'm going to marry her. Wow. And um, I called my mom the next day. And I, yeah, I was, I'm very close with my parents. And I called her just checking in. She's like, well, what are you doing? You know, what kind of partying you're up to these days? I said, guess what, mom? I met the girl I'm going to marry and she's a nurse and she like, ah! and, and so, um, fast forward, God, uh, four years later, five years later, we, she was, uh, you know, at her wedding in Santa Barbara and, um, yeah, my wife had gone through nursing school and was an RN and, um, I had gotten my act together and was a producer and, oh, I don't know what I was doing. I was throwing events at that time and trying to write screenplays doing reality. I had done a few reality TV, um, uh, like uh, sizzle reels and pitched them in town and stuff, but living in Santa Barbara, but yeah, crazy story. And it wasn't like it happened overnight either. Like I had to court her for a good six, seven months before she saw the light. Good. So she was dating like a Swedish underwear model at the time. So, <laughs> yeah, so that, and you know, we, and I was telling, I was just hanging with Kelly Brogan uh, at Greater Reset uh, in Austin. I love that girl so much. She's like a total sister of mine now. Cool. We're really close. And at least I, you know, we, we were just saying, oh, like we don't throw this word around soul family much, but that girl, I love her. And I told her this whole story about like how, you know, it, it wasn't a fairy tale. Like we broke up and got back together like probably 10 times. Mm. And then I remember she was saying it's over and I'm like, no, true love will conquer all. And I remember like giving this whole speech and um i don't know maybe i just broke her down finally but um yeah now we've been married for 12 years amazing man my three-year anniversary is coming up on the ninth so and you're a lucky man because your partner is a wonderful uh wonderful woman i, I love her dearly she just I'm, emits this energy too like that just just like calming just assure it uh, like she's just sure of herself and calm in her nature and i just yeah she's a pleasure to be around so you're stoked uh, yeah, I agree. She, she grounds me too, man. Cause I could be all over the place going down all the rabbit holes and, you know, and yep. she, she's good in that way. But in all fairness, we balance each other out because, you know, I bring the fire and I bring the tenacity yeah. and, and yeah. guarantee we wouldn't be up here living where we are if it wasn't for my vision. So while she grounds me, I'm the one always pushing, pushing us to the next thing while she, you know, keeps us, you know, in, in the real world, I guess you can yeah. say. 
So, okay. So, so speaking of all that, man, because you're just a dynamic, interesting person, man. I'm so happy we connected. I love the things you're up to. What, like, what drew you to, to the, what's going on with alphabetic, alphabetic and moving and cordal and, you know, even saying, hey, during the height of the whole quote unquote pandemic, uh, we're going to do this event called Music and Sky. Like, I just yeah. love to hear more of, of the origin stories around that and your mission and, and what you want to, to continue to create with those with projects. Yeah. And it really all is in time. Like it's all um, uh, like I'll, we'll start where I left off. So I'm in college and I'm throwing raves and doing events now downtown Santa Barbara. We had like the, the longest running electronic underground electronic dance music um, uh, night there. It went on. It was called the zoo. It went on for like six years. We booked all the biggest DJs in the nation. Um, so even back then, when I was like a sophomore and junior, I was, you know, very much um, already entrepreneurial and doing things that were against the, the trend, um, throwing uh, really interesting different events. And then that led me to um, meeting Bryden Lando. Um, who was going to school at the time there. And he is actually Dr. Bear Lando's son yeah. um, from Alpha Vedic. And he, Bryden had like the dopest speakers. So I was like, dude, I need those speakers for our event. So we became friends because he had awesome speakers and was a DJ and we were doing events together. And then, um, and then fast forward, he had moved to Hollywood. I was still in Santa Barbara and I would go down and he was like super tapped into the scene because he's an artist and he was like the door guy at the standard uh, mm -hmm. in downtown and when it was like brand new, when it was like the place to be. This was like in 2000, 2001 or something, 2002. Mm -hmm. uh, and he had a loft actually in downtown uh, at the time. And so I was going down there and um, whenever I would go to his place, he had like all this weird stuff in his house. Like he would have like this vortex water machine and he was drinking stuff called kombucha and he was like eating bee pollen and fresh aloe and it's like what and you know i was still like in terms of health like i came up in an allopathic household my dad was was more alternative but my mom was running uci medical center she was the active ceo at one point got it so you know my whole life i was luckily i grew up in the 80s so i wasn't you know it was only like four vaccines you got back then but um, I was uh, very much uh, like Sayer G story, kind of like I had uh, bouts with a chronic strep throat every year because I was just in this cycle of getting penicillin and, and then um, my body, it would kind of push down the symptomology, but I was really still toxic. And then every winter it would come back up and I'd go back to the doctor and I'd get the same antibiotics. And, um, and I was really struggling with my health at that time in my mid twenties, not in any way that was chronic condition, but just, I wasn't healthy. I was partying yeah. a lot. I was inflamed. I would, I was mainly, I was just getting sick a lot, right? Like coming down with the flu and getting the cold. I was like 22 years old. What the hell eating a lot of fast food, just not in touch with my body, definitely more in my mind. And Bryden really helped me see, you know, like, oh, wow, there's a lot more to health and wellness than, um, you know, going to, to uh, Walgreens and getting cough syrup when I'm not feeling good. So that led me to meeting Bear, Dr. Bear Lando, who is a mentor of mine and a partner with Alpha Vedic. And so I'm very fortunate. Like I got to meet Bear very early on, mid 2000s. Um, and he woke me up to to the fallacy of germ theory. And we had like intensely awesome late night discussions about reality and consciousness, everything from aliens to angels, to other realms, to real physics. 
So imagine that, like literally what AlphaCast, our podcast is about. I was like doing those conversations in my mid twenties, early thirties with Bear all the time, like two, three, four hour long conversations. And anytime anything would come up with my health or a question, I'd call him and he'd make time and he would just drop like crazy insane knowledge on me and like telling me like, oh, by the way, do you know your birth certificate? What that is, you know, like I knew about that 15 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like that our name is not, is a fictitious, you know, business name for uh, an entity that's not us. And that we're the maritime law lost at sea. Like he'd been doing that in the eighties and nineties. So um, every time I talked to him, my mind would be open up to all this new stuff. And so I was just very fortunate to at an early time to meet Bear. And then, so I still though, didn't Alpha Vedic was still far away. Like I was very much intent on being like a big Hollywood producer. I went to college, you know, to be a lawyer and then switched to film. And then I was, my idea was I was going to make like the next Braveheart. I wanted to make really fantastical historical fiction and documentaries about the real history of the world. And then I kind of got into reality television and started doing my own spec reality stuff. I left Hollywood, went back to Santa Barbara and literally got my own financing and started trying to do my own reality shows. And I was actually a showrunner and I would pitch, I pitched all around town, a few like number of different shows. And then I started working for an independent production company as a producer and did all sorts of weird shows about like we did one East Bay rats about the real underground um, uh, fight club in the East Bay where these guys would actually meet and really fight underground. Uh, we did uh, what was a show on uh, Baker skate crew um, show on um, oh uh, the blackjack tournament that was on CBS for two years, um, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, then I was in Hollywood. I was DJing a lot in all these like hipster clubs and stuff through my uh, relationship there. And so I was kind of lost at that time. I must admit, like while I'd have these long conversations with, with Bear and stuff, and I was figuring out my health, um, I was totally lost in my direction because I was, I was going against the stream of what my hero's journey was supposed to be taking me to. I was forcing, I was like forcing my position, right? I was not adhering to natural law and it was causing a lot of problems in my life, a lot of rifts in relationships. Um, uh, it was causing a lot of agony and pain with like, you know, the repercussions of going against the of going against the tide of what you're supposed to be doing. And then it really wasn't until I had my kids um, that I in uh, that I really started to wake up to who I should be as a man and who I should and what I should be doing for the world as an example for them. And then that is where I started getting more involved with Bear and their thing with the original company, which was called Matol Valley Naturals in Santa Barbara. And that was around 2000, uh, 2012, 2013, 14. And then we started Alpha Vedic in 2015. Gotcha. And then at that time in 2008, when the economy fell out, um, Hollywood had become really a tough place to make a living in. So I taught myself um, web design. And at that time, actually, I was married in 2009. And my wife took on a travel uh, nursing position because she, her family have a, have a history of really loving to travel. They're, they love just going places. And that was really deep in her soul. And I wanted to support her on that. So she, for three or four years, we traveled around and she just, we lived in different cities while she would take three to six month gigs. And I would just support her. I was like working on screenplays, working on tracks. I DJ in random cities. 
Um, and, and yeah, so that was great. Cause we got to like explore the country living like we lived in like Boston and Baltimore and LA and San Francisco, a few different places while she went and worked at all these great hospitals. And then, um, from there, uh, I was like, wow, I, I need to make a living too. So I started doing web design and actually had done a, a show, tried to produce a show about angel hack called angel hack. That was about hackathons, like tech hackathons. So I started hanging out in Silicon Valley for that. And I realized, whoa, like tech was blowing up at that time. That was like right when web 2.0 was massively exploding. Like Facebook was taking over. MySpace had, was basically dying at that time. Facebook was taking over. Google had exploded. Apple, of course, was exploded. Um, and then Netflix was just starting to become a thing. I remember I was like streaming Netflix on my uh, Nintendo Wii. You could actually do that. And um, so I was like, I had dubbed cable way before anyone else. And I was like, yeah, you can actually get content on the internet. And so because we were moving around so much, we would just, you know, we, I remember I was getting Hulu like really early and stuff. But so that's where the tech side came in. And then, and then through my, my libertarian circles and stuff, I'd heard about Bitcoin right when it had launched, like 2010. And I started actually mining Bitcoin um, when I was in Santa Barbara. When was that? Like. I think when we were traveling around, I started just mining Bitcoin for fun with really early on. And that computer's long gone. And I talk about how I had like probably, probably half a million dollars in that somewhere now. Um, so yeah, and then I, so I had known about Bitcoin really early and then I had talked about it a lot and then I kind of forgot about it. And then like 2015, I started really getting back into crypto again. Um, it was right around when like Trump was um, really starting to um, make waves. Right. I just remember it kind of coalesced with that. I started like really paying attention to Trump and then also paying attention to crypto again. And that's when I started buying Bitcoin again and really investigating all these altcoins. And that's when I decided that I wanted to get involved with it in some way. So I started to work. I started just reaching out to projects. Um, at this time, I was just doing Alpha Vedic. We were still living in Redondo Beach. I was working part time as a producer and just doing a lot. L.A. guy, right? Hustling on like 40 yeah, yeah. different fronts. And I started working for a privacy coin called, or uh, kind of um, uh, uh, basically volunteering, not working for, but volunteering for a privacy coin called Core, which is now a, a dead project. And I got like thrown into the fire and I learned all about crypto from these, from like behind the scenes and what it's all about. And then I got really into it. I saw that it could have a massive um, effect on the world and helping change the world for the better because of its, its core principles. Um, that relate to the original internet. So yeah, I just, I've been always had my hands in like a million different things. That's just what gets me off, man. I, I, I get bored if I'm just doing one thing for too long. I get it, man. What is, so real quick, what is Alpha Vedic for our audience? You know? So Alpha Vedic, if you guys haven't heard of it, it's kind of morphed into, well, it's, it's a partnership between four of us. So it's the Landos, it's uh, Dr. Bear Lando is the founder, uh, his wife, Deb, who's a master gardener, permaculturist, his, their son, Bryden, uh, who's um, the core um, designer and does all of our like merch and everything. And then myself, who's the technical director, one of the co-founders. Um, we're all co-founders in it, but Bear is really the heart and soul of it. It's really what it is. It's an extension of Bear Lando's 40 years as a bioterrain specialist. Um, we wanted to get this information out um, to the public through products, first and foremost, because he had like a lot of these amazing products that he was just privately um, using for his clients. And because he was retiring from practice, 
keep, we wanted that to evolve into a business. So it really is a, it's a, it's a business based on permaculture. Uh, it's a family run business, but also it's developed into a co-op as well. You can, you can get involved on currently on Patreon, but that'll be done at the end of this month. We're taking, we're going off Patreon and it will be completely on our own site. Um, and, um, so it's really morphed into a lot. It's like an, it's a, a large community behind it. Um, we do a weekly podcast, um, but it's core principles are grounded in permaculture and in, um, in, in the idea of like, we're all our masters of our own terrain. And, um, that's what all the products, uh, are, are about. And yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, man. It's kind of a new model for how to run a business. That's what we're trying to push towards is self-sustainability. Like we try to grow all our own product make all our own product, design all our own product, and self-fund ourselves through the product and through community. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun project. And we're, God, we're like five or six years in now, and we're just starting to take off. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's been a labor of love for sure. It's what it takes, man. I mean, especially in this, this world where we're so inclined to instant gratification and short-term goals, like that's what it takes to have direction and to build something, got to set long-term plans. It takes five or six years of dedication and effort towards something for us to actually build anything great, you know? So man, kudos to you and far out. You've done so much, so dynamic hands everywhere. Absolutely. Um, it's what an incredibly exciting journey that you've had. Yeah. And then- Alpha, Alpha Vedic has been interesting because like we, you know, we had amazing products from the get-go, but it was like, how are people going to know about us? And we didn't want to do traditional marketing because we're so outside the box thinking we're like, well, we'll do a podcast. It's like, yeah. we'll just talk about our crazy stuff. And like, and we were kind of nervous and like, what, well, what is our core principle? Our core principle is that germ theory is um, a false science. Like, right. It's a control uh, paradigm to maintain people under the spell that um, outside particles cause illness, which was, like, you know, as a ter- bioterrain specialist, uh, Dr. Bear Lando, of course, is like working off a completely different reality. And it's like, well, let's educate people about that through a podcast. And at that time, like when we launched that podcast originally in 2017, like nobody was really talking about this except for maybe Amanda Vollmer. Um, there was, uh, of course, Stefan Lanka had some clips out and I don't think Tom had really come out with anything at all really in the public space. There wasn't really any podcast talking about this. It was almost like crazier to talk about this than talking about rep- reptilians and stuff. Like talking about that viruses don't exist and that you don't get sick from um, from germs um, really was, it was a little nervous to come out with that, but we're like, that's our truth. That's what we know. Let's yeah. just start doing it. And lo and behold, um, the great um, scamdemic hit and we, the blessing of that was all of a sudden we started seeing that there was a lot more people that were aware of this. And that's actually how I got to know who Tom Barnett was because of that famous video of his that went out that uh, Richie from Boston shared. Um, I was like, oh my God, who's this guy? This guy's amazing. And I went, I did everything I could that second to find him. And I found him on Facebook and messaged him. And then same with Andrew Kaufman later um, when he came out on the Crow triple seven, I was like, well, there's another guy talking about it in a really um, amazing way. And then Lo and behold, we find out that Andy found out originally about this through our podcast. So it was a little nerve wracking that we felt like we were on an island of almost nobody talking about it. And then lo and behold, a lot of people were. And that was one of the many, many blessings of what's happened in the last few years is it's really allowed people like ourselves to come together. Mm -hmm. And now there's like subgenres of subgenres of this stuff. Like there's all sorts of cool podcasts coming out with people talking about 
you know, terrain and, and aspects of, of the reality that were never even thought of even just three or four years ago. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a beginning student and uh, of German new medicine, you know, or mm -hmm. Germanic healing knowledge. And, you know, Dr. Sal, Melissa Sal's a friend. And I just think that's a completely different angle as well. That also aligns with the reality that like viruses, if they exist, you know, and, and what really causes disease and what causes symptoms and what, what are symptoms, you know, but the body going through a healing process. So it's really, uh, I think the, the events of the last two years have opened people's eyes and their, their hearts and their minds up to different forms of, of information. And I think that's what happens when there is, um, when you're faced with certain challenges, you get more, an individual gets more creative on what they need to do with their lives. I mean, even look at what's happening with, with schooling, people are like, F this, my kid's yeah. not wearing a mask. And so they're like, what, what are possibilities and solutions? Like, oh, we're gonna create some pods. So more people are, are into homeschooling, more people are into unschooling, you know, whereas maybe they wouldn't if, if everything that, if this whole scamdemic didn't happen. So, you know, on one level, uh, I'm grateful for it because I feel like it, it's, it's woken a lot of people up and it's, it's created fertile ground for new ideas to flourish. Yeah. Yeah, the reality does things for a reason. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and why argue, why argue with reality? Yeah, yeah. And it's just been an amazing ride, you guys. Like to go back to Music and Sky, like, so I, I was trying, so I got into crypto, right? Like in 2015, 2016. And then it was funny, like 2015, I was starting to get a little, not on the fear mode. Cause I tried to always stay out of fear, but I was definitely like two little, little kids living in LA, seeing where the world was going. I didn't want my kids to grow up in that. I didn't want my kids to um, be in a place where they couldn't roam free. Like I did in the eighties, you know, ride their bikes and have a wonderful, you know, life around nature. And I just felt the call to get out of LA. And um, my wife was totally in tune with that. And and at that time too, there was a lot of like collapse. I don't know, conspiracy and stuff going around. And like, I had even made plans with my friend that we would have this boat that we would take up if like, you know, we had some sort of uh, collapse scenario in LA. Cause if there was any kind of collapse scenario in LA, you're screwed. You can't get out unless you've got some very, you know, uh, creative ways because the freeways would just be slammed. And so I'm all this going through my head and I'm like, well, I just want to get out. So that's when I was talking to bear and they had moved from the lost coast up to here. And so we decided to take a camping trip up for my birth for one of my birthdays. Uh, yeah, that was the summer of 2015, 2016. You're close, to, you're close to the Oregon border. Yeah, we're like uh, 15 miles from the Oregon border. Wow. And uh, and so I uh, I took we, we had what, what was funny is we had gotten this little teardrop trailer and we started camping a lot. The year and a half before that and that really like we like fell in love with the out you know i always loved the outdoors but we started going to like yosemite and going up to like king's canyon and and all these amazing parks and going camping at the the beach all the time and stuff and i was like wow i we really like this like and it was a pain in the ass to do it in la because you gotta like we had to pay like 300 dollars a month to store the thing and we had to like you know all the campsites are like you gotta like reserve it six months ahead of time so or like, I want to go somewhere where I can live in this almost every day. So Bear is like, you got to come check out where we moved to. It's paradise. It's like way out there. So we went all the way up and fell in love with it, camped there. And then we like looked at some homes and all of a sudden we we're like, let's just put an offer on this home. 
And then in like three months later, we were moving. We, were, we literally moved up here the day that um, that Trump was uh, that won the or the day after he won the election. So it was the November 16th, I believe wow. we were driving up. And um, yeah, it was pretty wild, man. I remember meeting for a, um, a farewell breakfast with all our friends in Redondo Beach is where we were. And my buddy Colby, who is a DA uh, in the city there and definitely uh, uh, very liberal, he like slid a Make America's Great hat under the table to me. He's like, congratulations. Because <laughs> like I at that time was very vocal. Like I was like, hey, Trump is going to, I had called it from the very beginning. I said, Trump's going to win. It's going to be a landslide. He's going to win. It's early. And, um, and we're going to see some interesting things happen. Either it's going to be complete chaos and the cities are going to burn or um, something remarkable is going to happen that could be for the negative. I didn't, I didn't know, but I knew he was going to win. And I, I never buy into left, right, but I was a little bit, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I was open to some of the Q stuff at that point. I was like very open. I was just sitting back and watching and some of it made a lot of sense to me. So it, it was great. I was like, well, that was a fun day. I mean, Clinton, Hillary Clinton wasn't going into office. So I was stoked. But yeah, he had to slide it under the table because it's so liberal there, right? Like in LA. Um, Q, but, Q was very intriguing in the peak of it, man. People yeah. that actually, for people that actually went through the drops, like it felt like a thing. It felt like it made a lot of sense. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. so curious now, like looking back, like what, what is going on? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know? Yeah, it was is fascinating because coming from crypto and also I was like really big into anonymous and into um, ha cyber hacking and the whole cypherpunk scene. And there was a lot of like really interesting parallels with that. And there were a lot of proofs that mm -hmm. seemed to be showing that this was some sort of intelligence operation that was tied into something. And it's very easy to like start going down rabbit holes, like we were saying earlier and make, connecting mm -hmm. the dots. And I was like, wow, this could be some kind of like um, you know, underground, you know, some sort of, I don't know, surge movement, like he said, where the generals got together and chose Trump. And, yeah. you know, there was definitely like a very organic, um, you know, a grassroots movement behind Trump at first. There was, I mean, it's a, it was the blue collar America that were fed up from globalism and, and uh, you know, completely fed up with losing their, their way of life. And, um, and I also just hate the Clintons. So um, Bear Landos told the story many times, the Clintons literally stole millions out of their bank account and, and, and essentially sent them from being set for life, from working uh, in the Hawaiian sovereignty movement to being destitute again, or not destitute, but not having no money. They went and raided all their offshore bank accounts. And um, the Clintons are a, a definitely a crime family. And so what, whatever you think about the Trumps I, or you know, I was like, they're better than the Clintons. So um, it was interesting, man. But to ask you, answer your question, um, at that time, it's really hard to step away, right? To step out and look over with bird's yeah. eye view of everything happening. And there was so much happening so fast that I was just taking it all in and I was open to it. I was open to it being real. And I was definitely hoping it was real um, because you know, I believe there's a lot of conspiracy people and history people that won't even believe like the American revolution was anything. And I still, I still hold reservations on that and believe that they're like you were saying earlier, Joel, that there are organic movements that happen in this realm that lead to great change. And 
um, I believe in, in our, our ability to, to have revolution and to change the world. And um, I was hoping it could have been through someone like Trump, because I, I had said this for years, we just need like an actual righteous billionaire to be able to get somehow get by his way into office to start like taking out, you know, the cronies and stuff. Somebody who actually was righteous, that had the power that was righteous, if that can exist. And then Trump came along. I'm like, maybe this is the, the righteous savior that could, and I'm not talking about savior hope porn or something like that, but you know, with the current system that we have, that was kind of what we, what would be required. Um, but now obviously we look and we know it's all, we got to do it all. We got to pull our bootstraps up and do it all ourselves. But if that was going to be happening at that time, I was open to it. So but at the I same time, the, there's yeah. no denying that the organic movement that awoke as a result of that is still awake and is still waving that banner and is still going on in their own individual pathways to, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it did, it opened millions of eyes, regardless of what anyone wants to say about it. And it's very likely that it could be an entire psyop, but to what benefit does it actually serve the, the, the enemy? You know what I mean? Because the people that woke up as a result of that, they still, they're still trying to point out the corruption. They're still pointing it out everywhere. Um, I, so, I would say that sometimes I, I think with AI systems and everything that they have, all this technology, they, they might have the ability to be seeing through all this, you know, statistical analysis, like where the general trends are going. Maybe they're, I've heard they're hundred years ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So they have in their playbook, they, they put in characters like Trump's to um, essentially take the tide, the organic tide of that timeline and shift the timeline. Now this getting a little woo woo, but so they use these kind of characters to do that. And, and I'm not even saying Trump even was aware of that. Trump was just a puppet. He was just being used. Um, and so I think as long now, it's become very apparent to me that as long as we give our power away to so-called, you know, these, these like leaders, yeah. we will continually be played. And it's all about decentralization now. It's 100%. all about decentralizing and, and using um, our own playbooks. And, and going to natural law and stuff like Tom Barnett talks about, like we're talking about Tom before the show, like he's a master at talking about this kind of stuff. Um, but it's also hard not to love, like it's the other aspect of this reality is that some of the greatest, most of the greatest stuff that's happened is by one person, like one singular consciousness. Think of all the great characters in history, whether you buy the history or not that have made the great inventions, that have pulled it out of the ether, pulled it out of you know, the, the mass consciousness. It's typically one, one person, one leader in this realm, this reality that pushes it forward, um, whether it be Gandhi, whether it be Martin Luther King Jr., whether it be um, you know, um, a great person in your neighborhood who's just someone, a leader that people look up to. Um, so, it's, it's really tough. Sometimes it comes down to once again, discernment. And yeah, at that point I was like, maybe Trump is really doing something here because those rallies, man, they were a lot of fun. I didn't go to any of them, but I, I was watching them and they were, they were pretty fun to see like that kind of American spirit being shown again, whether that was being co-opted and used, there was an energetic presence at a time at those. And then I was watching his, his rallies again, like he started doing rallies again, right? Like last year or something. And they seemed totally different. He seemed like he had changed and it had become a brand and it had lost its authenticity. Yeah, man, I hear you. At the end of the yeah, day. So, so anyways, 
yeah. So like the whole Trump thing, I moved up here and I was like, uh, I was like, wow, we're really doing it. We're moving up to a place where there's like the closest cities, like five and a half, six hour drive away. Um, there's more, it was just in Austin. I was joking around. There's like literally more restaurants in a, in a, in a random strip mall in Austin than our entire County. It is very remote here. Um, and very wild still. And the people are like, no nonsense, very and speaking of Trump, this went super red, super Trump here, even though it's California. Um, and, but people are, had, have had a lot of devastation here from globalism. It was a traditional timber and fishing area. And um, now we're, we're dealing with multi-generational um, debt and um, really just depression and uh, insolvency and people just kind of down and out. But literally since I've moved here in the last three or four years, there's a tide changing. Like people are moving here with lots of energy and that could be due to us and other friends and other people that have already, were being called to this land too because it's so amazing. It's so wild and there's so much to offer. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that a lot. I think a lot of people are now seeing the value in going to these forgotten areas, these wild forgotten areas. Um, I, I think that's going to be a trend going for a while, a evacuation of cities and moving towards kind of an exit and build strategy. And um, so I was kind of a little ahead of the game. And um, I'm pretty stoked now that I can bring, I can kind of be a leader in that respect and help people that are starting to try to navigate this idea of maybe moving out of the city or, or trying to be more um, sovereign on the land. Um, to provide them with some information on how I did it, and then also um, recommend some places to go, like here, because mm -hmm. a lot of people in our um, in our crew and our community are moving here, and we're developing an amazing little community. Beautiful, cool, man. man. Yeah, bro. I think, um, like on a macro level, at the moment, there's no doubt that people are becoming aware of potentially the dangers of globalization and collectivism in general, and now people are shift that are waking up they're shifting towards more individualism and personal responsibility and recognizing that freedom really starts with the individual you know what i mean there's no point going out there and waving the banner of anything if you're not free yourself if you don't have the basic necessities sorted if you're not you mean living the life that you desire and doing the things that you need to do in order to uplift yourself how can we ever really help anyone else so it's just so good to see that now more than ever you know what i mean those on an organic path really are diving deep into doing the things that they need to do to be free as individuals. Um, so yeah, just awesome to see. Yeah. And the music and sky question, you're awesome. sorry. <laughs> Going so many tangents. Oh, good, man. I love it. Um, so we, I was doing crypto stuff and I actually launched a crypto at a festival called outside in Equinox, which um, my partner Xander and I did in 2018, which was where lightning in a bottle had started up in Santa Barbara. And it was like this, awesome five-stage festival. We were launching this crypto called Karma Ship, which was going to be an experiencer uh, cryptocurrency. I was trying to ground cryptocurrency and blockchain into the real world through experience, through real life experience with a protocol um, called Proof of Experience, which is still something I want to get back to doing because I think it's really important. Um, but so I started doing festivals and stuff. And then when COVID hit, it was like, whoa, they're going to try to stop us from my favorite thing in the world. I don't think so. And randomly, I got connected with um, Matt, who you know, yeah. uh, my yeah. partners now, and the other partner, Owen, had known through other know, stuff I'd done. And so we're like, let's do, who cares? Let's do our own festival. We'll do it in the private. We'll do it. I've been really, I've been studying law a lot and understanding like the power of doing stuff in the private. 
and we so we in the heart of COVID in 2020 in California, Southern California, we did the first Music and Sky in Joshua Tree, and people were like, some of our partners bailed out, like uh, from the more traditional festival scene. They wanted us to do temperature checks and and um, like signing waivers and stuff. I said no, we're not even going to have security. Like it's the whole idea of sovereignty is everyone's coming to back everybody up and, and everybody's going to have trust and faith in knowing that we are, we are vital living men and women that aren't afraid of some mysterious bug or that, you know, we're coming here to literally live in our own truth. And um, it went off without a hitch. It was like super inspiring. Um, it's created this whole family, Josh Del Sol from um, the 5G summit he'd done with Sayer and um, take back your power. He was so inspired. He called me up. He's like, Mike, would you want to convert this into an online summit? We can film it. It was like two days before I was driving up there. I was like, are you crazy? Okay, let's do it. And we like literally got on Craigslist and like found people to come up and shoot it because it was so last minute. And then that became reunion summit. And now, which is now the event. Um, and um, so, yeah, all just like literally taking chances. Like that's what life is. It's just like, F it. I'm going to go do it. And um, it was nerve wracking. Like we were worried. We knew the sheriff kind of had our back, but I rolled up to Joshua tree and it was like black lives matters banners everywhere and people in double masks. And I was, and I was like, Whoa, this has gone super, <laughs> super liberal over here. I hadn't been there in a while. And, but luckily um, when it, without a hitch, um, everybody was just amazing at this first event. There was only maybe like 250, 300 campers at that one. And uh, it just turned into this beautiful event. And then we did it again last year that you were at. It was twice yeah. the size. Um, and once again, like no nonsense with any restrictions, of course, but also no security. Like we, and it's a private location. We don't even announce the location until basically the week of. Um, and so it's kind of got that old school rave roots that I came up with, right? Like, um, and, um, yeah, it's just been so amazing. So we're, we're, we're about to launch the, announce the dates for this year and, um, just taking up another level. So every year trying to make it better and better, more family focused. It's, it's very focused on sobriety and consciousness and, um, community and, um, really pushing the, the, the terrain, uh, model <laughs> as much as we can, of course, but also just complete under like openness, like no politics involved. It's just, you come here with your truth. If you want to wear a mask, great. You'll probably stand out and look weird, but we don't care. Like it's, it's just really all about people coming together in their own authentic self to, to find each other and in, in really experience the true expression of what it is to be a living man and woman right now uh, in this world. So I can't wait for this year and I can't wait to have you here. And I wish you could come out, Joel, if there was a way to get you out here. You know, Tom Barnett is flying out here in June and hopefully he can make it. He's found a way to get out here. I'll have to chat to him, man. Um, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm hoping to, to get across there soon. It, we'll, we'll figure it out. You're asking us and I are working on some tricks. We'll see what happens. But I've got absolutely no doubt that um, 100% we're all going to connect one day and hang out. You know what I mean? It's crazy, yeah. man. Like the world's become so small over Zoom and over... I mean, all the people that are doing things for, for, for the truth at the moment. Um, so to actually one day have that physical experience, um, you know, I mean, the Australians, the Americans would be absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah. I mean, jo Joel and I, we've never met in person. Yeah. You know, we've, wow. ne we've, ne we've never hugged each other. We, we connected 
online. He saw he saw a podcast episode that my wife and I did on the Unslaved podcast and reached out and and then I loved what he was about doing what he was doing in the freedom and uh, health freedom movement out in um and uh in australia and he, he, he's made some amazing songs as well and we just got on a, we just got on a on a call and realized we we're on the same page and we just said let's do it let's just let's film our first episode we just jumped on zoom and filmed our first episode and here we are 55 episodes later i talk to this wow. guy every day of my life we work together three four hours pretty much every day yeah, yeah. Now, now we're now we're building up we're building up a group coaching program too, you know, to help people rise above the herd, and um, you know we're we're doing our thing. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of like music and sky because it was the same thing. There was like a ton of people that had only zoomed with forever, and then we finally got to meet, and it was ecstatic. It was yeah. like hugs and just yeah. like huge smiles, and it's just it's it's insane. And it goes back to the '90s, what I was saying earlier. Like that used to be every day. Like, sure, we weren't tapped in as much to a lot of the knowledge and um, kind of the information, but every day was very, um, I don't know, much more tactile and much more like in the moment because we were in the physical at all times. Like to go to know where something was that night, you literally had to go up to, to like a poster board and look at flyers or somebody had to tell you, right? Um, and so I, I came up with this idea and kind of leave it off with this, um, at, I was just speaking at the greater reset in Austin mm -hmm. last week about Cordal, which is a project that kind of stemmed out of that project, that crypto I was talking about that we did at the music festival. Cordal was actually kind of the ground infrastructure for that launch. Um, but have you guys heard of the slow food movement? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a reaction to globalism and to really a fast food market coming into France at the time. And the French were like, whoa, why is there a McDonald's now in France, right? So um, as a reaction, they started to re-embrace re their culture of, you know, growing their own food and having their food culture be the predominant means for sustenance. So they slowed it all down. They got, it was the opposite of fast food. Well, I'm interested, well, not me, but I just like this idea. And what Cordell's really about is the slow tech movement which is where we need to radically um, you know, reconsider what our relationship to technology is. We've been so sold on the convenience and the um, easy access on mobile, especially to technology that we've, in, we've actually like opted in to our own slavery in many ways. And it's also to the massive detriment to our health, to our, our, our um, individual sovereignty, to our privacy, to the way our kids are being raised. Um, and so, I think it's important that we reimagine what our relationship to te technology is. And Cordal is allowing us to do that because Cordal is basically giving us complete sovereignty over all aspects and completely decentralizing more than pretty much any other project out there from the hardware level up of every aspect of a technology. But it's going to require us to slow it down, slow down a little bit. And what I mean by that is by owning all your own data on the blockchain and everything, you're not going to have that immediate mobile access on the phone through networks to go onto these other cloud servers to have all your information stripped and all of your identity taken away and run through algorithms so they can control you. But you'll be in charge of that, but you might not be able to be on the subway live streaming this right now. Maybe down the line, once we get mesh networks running and stuff, yes, but um, we're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit uh, in terms of what, well, it's not a sacrifice to me, but some people will see that as a sacrifice to have to get our sovereignty back to be healthier and to in the end have a, a much better experience with technology so i'm kind of come up with this idea of the slow tech movement i like it Dude, so good man 
Yeah. So, so good. So good having you on, man. I loved hearing more of your story. You know, it's really, I know we got a chance to chat a little bit up in music and sky. You're really busy and uh, just appreciate you, man. I appreciate your, your spirit, your energy, the passion that you have for everything that you do. And uh, you know, your children, no, no doubt are blessed to have you as a father. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next uh, music and sky, man. You got to fill me in on the dates, man. I got to know when, when it's <laughs> happening. So if there should be a message so I could put, put the dates aside. Do. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me on, Joel. Uh, and you're awesome, most. You guys are awesome, dude. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. You guys are living your own hero's journey. Super, super, uh, yeah, just proud to, to know you guys. Thanks, brother. Likewise, man. And yeah, dude, just an homage to the creativity that you've, been man you've managed to hold on to, you know what I mean? Um, throughout, throughout your life. Um, because that's one thing that most people, they, they, they put to the side, you know what I mean, in, 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 in the search for other things. So, Mike such a pleasure to have you guys thanks for listening and we'll see you next time take care smoking mirrors i'm seeing through the illusion waking up in a the time they think you're in a delusion somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing i'm in a delorean